If you would, take your Bibles, please, this morning and turn with me to Psalm 81. We're going to take a little bit of a break from John, which we've been doing a series in the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings. But I want to look at Psalm 81. A very simple thought this morning. A thought that is dear to me and a thought that I don't soon forget when we get in dark days or there's hard times. There's something that is taught here, very simple but profound. And I hope that it blesses you this morning and you leave this place and having this as a promise of your own to claim. The closer you are, the main point is the closer you are to God, the more sweetness you will taste in hard places. In Psalm 81, look at verse 16. Psalm 81, verse 16, he says, He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat, and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning assembled in your name to praise and worship you. Father, where we must decrease, you must increase. Father, we, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for your great salvation and your sovereign grace. Father, thank you for the ones who are here today. We pray, Lord, that you'll just be honored and your son be lifted up and glorified. As we leave this place, may we all have our eyes upon Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the context of Psalm 81 is this. It is a plead for Israel to return to the Lord. In Psalm 81, verses 1 through 4, it's a plea to return to him with singing of psalms and, and the harps and, and bring a timbrel and everything pleasant and praise him. And in verses 5 through 9, it talks about the faithfulness of God, how God had been faithful to Israel all of these years through Egypt. But it says in verse 10... Notice with me in verse 10 of Psalm 81, he says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice. And Israel would none of me. So I gave them up into their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Here was the, here's the context. If they were experiencing despair in their hardships, they were not rejoicing in their prayers. They didn't have the peace of God in their hearts. It was because they had chosen to turn their backs on God. God says, I would have done this. I would have benefited you had you hearkened unto my voice, but you would not. Now, particularly in verse 16, what he says is, he should have fed them. Also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. Now many of you may be familiar with this, this passage of scripture. Warren Wearsby made it very popular and I love Warren Wearsby's thoughts on the honey out of the rock. But here is the thought and like I said it's simple and I want you to leave this place thinking about this. Think about honey out of a rock. Now, nature tells us honey is the sweetest thing there is. I mean, that's of all the things that nature produces, honey is sweet. A rock is the hardest of things. It's the most bitter of things. And so, the, it's deep here. 
He says, I would have given you honey out of the rock. I would have given you sweetness out of the hard things in your life had you hearkened unto me. So the deep thought is you're going to have hard places in your life. You're going to have rocks. You're going to have boulders in your life. But don't be discouraged. God says, I'm going to give you honey out of that rock. I'm going to let you experience sweetness that comes from those rocks. Now, notice with me also, this is a children's promise. Now, God had said, now who, who did God say, I would have done this for you? Well, he did that to the disbelieving Jews, to the ones who did not believe, the ones who had turned their backs against God. So that by inference means that he does do that for his children. He will give us honey out of the rock. Um, and that is the promise that we have. If you are one of God's children today, he will give you honey out of the rock. He'll give you sweetness out of the hard things in life. Now, let's think about this for a minute. God's children are only God's spiritual children. We get that? There are no physical children of God. There's only those who have had like faith in like Abraham had. Abraham was a child of God. David had faith. Noah had faith. Everybody in the Old Testament who was a child of God, they were children of God through faith. Not of heritage, not of lineage, not of nationality. Children of God are spiritual children of God. It says in, the, uh, in Romans chapter 9, he says, The children who are after the flesh, these are not the children of God, but those who are counted for the seed are the ones who are spiritual. And so this is, who are God's children? That's, that's the question. If this promise is for God's children, who are God's children? It's those who come to him through faith. By grace are you saved through faith. That's how everybody in the Old Testament was saved. Now, does God have a special place for Israel? He has a special attention on Israel? That might be true, but he does not have a, a special salvation of Israel. Everybody has been saved the same way since time began. It's always been imputed righteousness in Jesus Christ and his blood, looking forward to the cross in the Old Testament. And today we look back to the cross that we have been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. The pure blood of Jesus Christ is the only way that God can impute righteousness and he can have grace on you. He can save you. That's how he saved Abraham. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. When was Abraham justified? When was Abraham counted righteous? Was it uh, during circumcision? Was it because he was No, it was before circumcision. Was it because of the law? No, it was before the law. Abraham was way before Moses. Abraham was justified. He was counted righteous through faith. That's how you become a child of God. That's it. There are no physical children of God. Neither are there any grandchildren of God. You must come alone. So the promise is to his children. Now, if you're not one of his today... The Lord tells us that we need to be saved. And it tells us that how we can be saved. And it tells us that we will be saved. If you repent of your sins, turn from your sins, work, the godly sorrow works in your heart, and you look to him in full trust and faith that Jesus Christ died, on your, died for your sins on the cross, that he rose again the third day. Jesus died a substitutionary death 
in your place. Not mankind's place, not your family's place, not your household place, not your church's place, not, not these, you know, not the nation's place, but individuals. He died for your sins if you repent and believe upon him today. He died a substitutionary death. He took the wrath of God upon himself that I would have had to have taken upon me. But Jesus took it upon him that I may be go free. That is salvation. You believe in him. You trust in him that he did indeed die for your sins and you ask God to save you, he'll save you today. And that is the promise. Then you will be a child of God and now you will be a spiritual promise. You will receive honey out of the rock in your life. This promise is not to all people. Because it tells us that. Remember in verse 16, I would have given you honey out of the rock. I would have given you sweetness out of your hardness. I would have, have made it, it, it bearable. I would have given you hope in your life. I would have given you peace through your hardships and your storms. And, and not despair had you turned to me. So this promise is not to everybody. It's only to his children. It's only to us. And it's a promise that we can claim today. So, now's the question. Why does God keep the rocks in our life? Why does God put us through hardships? Why didn't, if God loved us, why don't he just remove any kind of hardships out of our life? I mean, he loves us with an everlasting love and eternal a love we'll never be able to comprehend. Why doesn't he re remove these rocks? Well, you know, the thing is, is we don't appreciate these hardships in our life. I know I don't. Uh, they're very painful. And grief, and who has any kind of, I mean, who has any patience for any of that? But let me ask you a question. When has your life, when has your prayer life been the most intense? When has your fellowship with God been the most real? When have you felt the presence of God and the peace that comes when you're shaking and you have nowhere else to turn, you're at the end of your rope, you're at wit's end, you have no place to go, you have no place to turn, and all you can do is cry unto the Lord with your spirit, your full spirit, and cry to Him. There's no relief anywhere else. Have you felt closer to the Lord in those times than any other time in your life? Was your prayer life much sweeter, more vivid, more real? Was he in that, in, in that room with you? We do not appreciate the rocks. We do not like them. We do not have patience for them. I, I hate them. I don't want to go through some of the, the trials that we go through. And we all have different trials. We all have different uh, rocks in our life. But here's the thing is... We may not like them, but we need them. We need them. Now, think about Joseph. Joseph, who seemed to have nothing but rocks for 13 straight years. First, Joseph was hated by his brothers. He grew up in a household where he was always schemed against and hated by his brothers. Then he was sold into slavery into Egypt. Then his brothers went home and told his dad that Joseph was dead. So nobody on the planet thought Joseph was alive, but yet here he is in this hole, one rock after another. Then when he finally gets in the Potiphar's 
family in Potiphar's house. He's like, okay, you know what? I, he may have been starting feeling better. God was blessing Joseph. Everything he did prospered in his hands. And then he thought he was rock free. <laughs> and then wouldn't you know it, right after that, he gets falsely accused of raping Potiphar's wife. Well, then he gets thrown in the prison. Another rock. Well, and then as he's in prison and he's been despair, and then the butler forgets him. And everything, it looks like it is going against Joseph, one after another. But he trusted God. That's the one thing Joseph did. He trusted the Lord, that he was in control. He had one event after another. Now, here's the thing about Joseph. For those 13 years, do you think Joseph had any idea that it was going to end up the way it did? I don't think he did. He may, he may have been confused. I, I know a lot of us are confused sometimes. Like, God, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what your plan is. I don't know what, what the deal is. Is it me? Is there something going on? Is there something wrong? Why is there no relief? Why have you not removed this rock from my life? But it did. Joseph enjoyed the honey out of the rock when God finally he had revealed his purposes and he, and he promoted Joseph to the second in charge of all of Egypt. And there he saved Israel. And so we see that Joseph experienced a honey that comes out of the rock. Now think of David. David was anointed king and then he was on the run for his life. He was hunted by the king of Israel. And all the resources, of, I mean he wasn't hunted by just one person. Could you imagine a whole nation hunting you? He, David had to hide out in caves. David said many times that he was alone. But we have these psalms. Most of the psalms in the word of God is David in his distress and his crying unto the Lord. There's typically three things that are going on in the psalms. There's tears, there's trust, and then there's triumph. Everything that David went through his whole life, all of the, the rocks that he had, Psalms is a collection of David showing us the honey which God gave him in his trials. The peace which God gave him. The confidence which God gave him. The love which, which God gave David. The peace. David didn't give up. He trusted God fully. In Psalm 142, you don't have to turn there, he says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. David had, didn't have anybody on the earth. He was alone. But what does he say? This was his cry and this is what he says. I cried unto thee, O Lord, for thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. The rock in David's life in this particular psalm was he was abandoned. He felt alone. But the honey was is when he trusted in the Lord, he started focusing on the Lord. He knew that the Lord was a continual sweet presence in David's life. You are never alone if you are saved. The Lord is always with you. What about Psalm 23? It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. You know, during this psalm, he lost everything. And he was overwhelmed with anxiety and stress, but he loved God fully. 
He goes on to say that God, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. What was the rock that David is referring to? Chaos, death, fear. Fear. What was the honey? He had confidence in God and he had comfort. He said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Oh, that God would give you honey out of the rock. How he would give you the sweetness of his presence, the sweetness of his peace, and the hardest things that you go through in your life, the darkest things that you go through in your life. God's not removing them, but he's giving you sweetness in them. He's being with you. He's, he's making his presence known in that time. That's what, I mean, that's what we see. All through here, the, the key is faith. The tears, the trust, and the triumph. Uh, many times the Psalms will begin with a complaint. And then the, the complaint will turn to trust. They'll, they'll, they'll take their eyes off themselves and the, the condition and the affliction. And then they'll turn their eyes upon the Lord, upon Jesus, and he, they'll trust them. And then God will give you an overwhelming heart of triumph and victory and peace where you can smile. And even though you have tear-soaked pillowcases, you can smile through all those things. Knowing your God loves you and, and there's a purpose and a plan and generation after generation, how his mercy endures upon his children. Oh, just what a good God we have. That he would be so in love with you that he would train you up in these things, in these experiences, in these lives. I mean, it seems like one thing is just happening after another. And James even talks about that. He says, consider it all joy when you go through diverse temptations, multiple kinds of trials, because these trials, they produce patience and patience, hope and endurance. Now, the trials which we go through, they're not working against us. They're working for us. Now, that's an amazing concept to think about. I was telling April on the way home one day that, you know, it just seemed like ever so often it just seems like death is winning. I mean, like rain, I mean people you know are just dying and, and just one thing after another and one thing after another. And I was telling April, you know, the Lord is having us experience and go through these things as a mercy. Think about that. As a mercy. Because we see that God reigns, that we have the victory. It, it, you know, the thing is, the, the, the lower the valley, the higher the mountaintop. You've, you've told me, I've, I've heard, you've heard me say that many, many times before. And isn't it so true that when we start feeling the grip, the reign of sin and death, as it says in Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8, how grace is much greater than all our sins and how the reign that we have of life in Christ Jesus, how Jesus has abolished the reign of death. When he arose from the grave triumphant, he tore the bars away of death. We have nothing else to fear. We have nothing to fear as God's people. And right now we're being molded, we're being shaped to appreciate the victory we have. To appreciate the life which has overcome death. 
Oh, death is swallowed up in victory. When you start experiencing that death and the darkness of it and the despair of it and the power and the grip of it, and then you start looking to Christ and seeing how he had broke through. Well, I mean, he explored every dark cavern there was of death and he conquered it. And when we go and we die, he's going to lead us and guide us the whole way through. He's already been there and he's going to lead us through. He's already been there and he won. He's the victor. And that honey out of the rock and that sweetness in the hard places. Here's a story about Horatio Spafford. He was a successful attorney and real estate investor who lost a fortune in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Around the same time, his beloved four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. Thinking a vacation would do his family some good, he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England, planning to join them after the, he had finished his business at home However, while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship that his wife and daughter was on was involved in a terrible collision and sunk. More than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of Horatio Spafford's precious daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. Upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to her husband that said, Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately set sail for England. At, what point, at one point during the voyage, the captain of the ship, aware of the tragedy that had struck the Spafford family, summoned Horatio to tell him that they were now passing over the spot where the shipwreck had occurred. As Horatio thought about his daughters, words of comfort and hope filled his heart and his mind, and he wrote them down. And today, this has become a well-beloved hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know, there's a couple of other verses I didn't know. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live, if Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life, Thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. Our trump, O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. You know, you may be going through a very terrible time in your life. You may, there may be a rock. There may be hardship in your life. And you're, you're wondering why God hasn't removed the rock. Well, maybe he's not going to remove the rock, but he's going to give you honey out of the rock. Just like the Psalms, we, we have tears towards the Lord. I mean, you're talking about the, the spirit that, that has wordless groanings with words which cannot be uttered in Romans chapter 8. Just sometimes all you can do is lash out with your soul. There's no words for your pain. And you just lash out to him. And then, what happens? You trust him. You trust him. And then you'll feel the sense of triumph. Even with that rock in your life. You'll have joy. You'll have joy in your heart. 
You'll have joy in your life. You'll have peace. And others will see it and praise God and praise the Lord. Tears, trust, and triumph. But the question today is, are you saved? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Are you at peace where you have a rock that God is not moving? Is there a rock in your life that God's not moving? The Lord says that in verse 16, He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock. Should I have satisfied thee? Well, that tells me, isn't that just a sweet promise? Isn't that a great truth? That the Lord loves you. And he will give you the honey out of the rock. He will give you the sweetest peace there is, even out of the hardest things in life. He may not remove that rock, but he's going to give you peace through it. And he's going to sustain you. Oh, praise the Lord. I pray that you are saved this morning. And if you're not, today is the day of salvation. We ask that you not leave this place without being sure that if you are to die, heaven be your home. That you repented of your sins. You see yourself as a sinner before God. And the Bible says that his holy wrath will abide upon all those who die in their sins, not having their sins forgiven. But today is the day of forgiveness of sins for you. Today, it doesn't matter who you are. You, no one deserves to be forgiven. God has come to seek and to save those who are lost. He comes and heals those who are sick. We must be sick, and sin is a sickness. Sin makes us sick. But he, oh, isn't he wonderful? He's compassionate. And in love, he went to the cross to pay for your sins, to pay for all of the blunt force of the, God's wrath, that if you turn and look to him and just believe upon him, you shall be saved. Call upon him. We pray the Lord richly blesses you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for... This day, Father, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy to call us to yourself to provide the blood through your Son that you forgive us of our sins through the pure, precious blood of Jesus Christ. And to him that we hold, to him that we have faith, Father, to him we cling. For, Lord, we know, Father, that you are just so good to us. Father, we do pray for those who are brokenhearted today. Father, they may have trials in their life and hard places and times that will be coming up that will just seem so heavy. Father, we pray, Lord, if, if you do not remove those things, that you give them honey, give them sweetness, give them the peace that passes all understanding. Father, you tell us to cast our cares upon you, for you care for us. Father, what an amazing promise that we can claim, that we come to you, Lord, for we know that you love us and all things are for us and for your glory. We do pray your will upon the remainder of the message. In Jesus' name, amen.